This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. So, uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited. We were just uh, catching up before recording. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, we're not friends. I mean, everyone in showbiz calls us friends, but we're we're old showbiz friends. Uh, Steve and I. Old, that's absolutely yes, true. Exactly. <laughs> Stephen and I met uh, many years ago doing this circuit. Um, I had written history, and uh, you had written uh, the wonderful film version of Rent, and um, uh, that was that was. I hate to think about how long ago that was. Um, 2005, my friend. Uh, stop it. Stop years it. Ago. Yeah, that was four years ago. Shut the fuck up. Okay. <laughs> Where's the hook? Let's get rid of this guy. Um, but yeah, no, our, our, our guest is, uh, uh, well, novelist too, um, wrote uh, the book as well as uh, the film, which he directed, of Perks of Being a Wallflower, uh, which is wonderful. He's, he's done a bunch of other things, screenplay for Rent. Um, and uh, currently he's got a film out, um, or it's about to come out, I should say. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen, which actually I think will probably just be out as this drops. Um, and uh, you made a bold and unique decision with this film, Stephen, and, and you're, you're catching heat for it. And I just, I just want to kind of chastise you for it because I've never seen a movie about high school students in which people who weren't actually in high school played high school students. Right. And I'm wondering why you chose to go this route instead of doing what they did in, say, Mean Girls or Footloose or Greece, you know, where everybody was obviously 14, 15 years old. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, it's, it's so, it's insane to me. And um, there's, there's a thing that happens in kind of internet culture, I guess, um, where the wrong, you, you, something gets off of the wrong foot or something and, and it turns into this steamroller. I'm here to tell you as somebody who, uh, and I probably said this just even back in the day when we were uh, doing doing the rounds. Not a musical guy, so I'm not the guy to come to for like your list of the best musicals. Sure. Um, but I, I will say this: uh, I have watched Dear Evan Hansen. Um, I had not seen the show because that would involve going to a musical. See, yes, um, of course. And and I watched it with my wife, uh, Nancy, and I sat there and I was like you know, and these things happen and, and this sort of, there's this noise out there and, you know, sometimes it's right. And I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the moment where I'm going to go, Oh, okay. This is the, yeah, this is the, and it's, I really enjoyed the film and, and Ben Platt's terrific. You've got this amazing cast. Holy shit. I, I, Julianne Moore and Amy Adams, um, who I also got to know during, during that, that time. Yes. It was lovely. Um, and Caitlin Deaver, who is like just absolutely one of my favorite, I want to say up and coming actresses, but she's been sort of on the scene now for a few years. Yeah, she's she incredible. Just, she also looks 14, which is, um, but 
uh, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. And these movies are not for me. Anybody who listens to this show, if I were sitting here talking about, you know, I, I have to be upfront. I can't go like, Oh my God, this is like, in... meanwhile, I look over my wife, Nancy, she is in tears the whole time, which by the way, is the correct response to this film. Um, just absolutely loving it. And um, I, I, seriously, it's, you know, and I don't know, and I don't want to get you in any trouble. This doesn't feel like a movie <laughs> that you that you open a, a a big film festival with straightforward crowd pleasing fucking musical, and there's a kind of mentality at film festivals I think, whereby just being that loses you points. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. And of course, and so all I'm saying is like if look if if you're not a musical person, do what you're going to do. But if you're the kind of person who is like, oh, I was really looking forward to that, nice, ignore that shit. It's really you're going to enjoy it. Um, it is a delightful film, and uh, I, I have been looking forward to it just because uh, I, I, I like you and a fan, fan of your stuff and um, have been really annoyed by this stuff. I don't know. Sometimes I take it personally. I have nothing to do with the film. <laughs> sure. But you, you know, I, it, it's funny that you say this because I remember when we got the invite from Toronto. It was a discussion. Do, do, you, do you be the opening night film? Do you not be the opening night film? That kind of thing. And at the end of the day, we just felt like, look, you know, it, it, some of it takes us by surprise. Like we've all been through the last year and a half. We all know what it felt like for our own lives. You know, you, you think that, you know, it's bigger than the bullshit. You know what I mean? And and for most people, it is, you know, for some people it isn't, you know? And so at the end of the day, it's like you, you stick your nose out. Some people are going to try to hit you, you know, and, and you can, you can decide whether or not that matters. Right. You know, right. and it, it's like, look, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I, I didn't really make the film. Like, I knew how I felt when I saw the Broadway show and I loved it. I know, you know, mostly from the perks of being a wallflower, like what a movie like this that is for young people and, and maybe, the, you know, their parents that are trying to get a little peek behind the curtain, right? That it can do a lot of good in the world. That's why I made it, you know? And if Toronto wanted to invite us, awesome. They were such kind people. Right. Happy to go was quite an honor. Um, to open the festival and, and you know, l- let, it, let it ride. Every screening I've personally been to um, ends with a standing ovation. Literally every one. Yeah, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, a few opinions is a few opinions, whatever. Like, like I said, it, it doesn't, it, to me, to me you, make it, you make the movie for who you make it for, you know, and, and if other people are along for the ride, great. And if not, then, then so be it. Like, I, I can't even worry about it. Yeah, no, I, that's absolutely the right attitude, I think. And like I say, I am not, I am not, you know, it, nobody sits down and goes, let's make a musical that will appeal to Josh Olson. And I enjoyed it. So <laughs> um, you have, you have exceeded your mandate on that alone, I would say. Thank you. But um, yeah, it's, and that's how it drives. I remember there was that, uh, I remember there was the Star Wars thing where there was a story that like all these men are upset that there's a woman in the lead of Star Wars. And it turned out to be like a guy on Twitter who managed to parlay that into an interview on CNN. And, you know, within a week and a half, it's like, it becomes a thing. And it's like, just so, you know, grain of salt with that stuff, folks. Um, it is, uh, it is a, a delightful film and, and congratulations to you. And, you. and I also wanted to, just cause it's, it, it, it was on my mind watching it and we will get into it. Normally we don't talk about that much about people's work and this isn't really, but it is, um, it's got the classical, uh, uh, there's that thing, the, the three D's in comedy. Uh, you know, the desire, deception, discovery thing where character wants something, tells a lie, uh, gets caught. And then, you know, everything obviously works out at the end. 
and I'm sitting there watching the film and it occurred to me, I don't think I've ever seen a movie because my only, it's not even a gripe. My only issue with the story of Evan Hansen, and this is goes back to the musical is like the lies that this kid tells are actually pretty positive and pretty good for people. <laughs> like if he's never found out this family gets to go on thinking good things about their kid that aren't necessarily true. It's probably less traumatic for them. Everybody's happy. Nobody's hurt. I'm like, why does he have to be caught? Like how come every now and then the best thing in life is to tell the person you love that their ass looks great in those jeans. <laughs> well, you know, it's very funny that you say this because um, there have been some people, right? Where, where it's all done, right? And of course, you know, the haters are like, he lies. He should be you know, tarred and feathered. And then there are other people that have pulled me aside, like after screens, and like, no, what he did wasn't that bad. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Like, the, the mother was completely grief-stricken. What's he going to do? You know, like, yeah. hard more? And, and it's, it's really funny, all these different opinions swirling around about the lie. But at the end of the day, what I always felt was, was his intentions are always good. There, yeah. there's, not, there's no malice in a single one. And he feels bad the whole time. And like, and ultimately, you know, there is redemption. It's, it's very interesting. I have to say, um, because, you know, like when, when you're directing a movie, um, just like when you're writing one, you know, you have your point of view. And I wasn't setting out to make a movie about a liar. I had no interest in that part of it in, in a way. I was interested in making a movie about a troubled kid who lies. And like the reasons why the lie happens, the reason why the lie was good for the family, and then ultimately why it was bad and how he loves these people so much that he'll do anything for them, including blow up his own life uh, for them, which I thought was very redemptive. It's so fascinating. Like, it's like okay, again, that's my reality. That's what I made. Right. Um, you know, vast majority of people, that's exactly, it's like you were talking about the one guy on Twitter. Like, look, it is what it is. I mean, the just just because oh, wait, and people complain about that because that's that's like the classic comedy structure. I mean, that's everything. That's well, that's what, what some did, but 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 most didn't. You're like, look, at the end of the day, um, you know, as you said, it's like I didn't. I'm not leaning into the lot. I'm leaning right. into the, every movie I've ever made. Is like when I made Wonder. I, I wasn't trying to make a movie about facial difference. I was trying to make a movie about empathy. But then all, you know, certain people want to talk about it is like, it's not a kid with a facial difference, it's a kid with makeup. And you say, okay, well, if that's all you're going to get from it, then I, what am I going to do? I, I can't, I can't, you know, like there it is. If that's all you see, it's all you see. I, I can't make you see otherwise, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't, dude, I, I don't take it all that seriously. I really don't anymore. It's like, it's like at this stage, uh, you know, working with this cast, this writing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, it's just amazing. But yeah. I've, I've just been, since, since I saw it, I've been racking my brains to try to come up with one sort of comedy or musical kind of thing in which a character tells a big lie and, and they're never, they don't get caught. It's like, they always do. It's like the one thing. Every, there's, we have broken down all the rules in film and in narrative. But I think the one thing that we always have to do for some reason. And, and, uh, well, there's only two, and it's not about lying. It's, you know, you go back to train spotting, the end like, of train spotting. You go back to the end of Clockwork Orange. Those two, it's like, again, it's, there's a different type of deviance, yeah. right? It's a different thing. They both get away scot-free. You know, it is incredibly dark ending. Both critically hailed movies. Oh, sure. Oh, no, but I'm saying, but it's strictly kind of comedy. And again, I don't want to, because Evan Hansen is, is a very dramatic film as well, but it's got comic elements. But um, 
Yeah, or, you know, think of, uh, you know, Usual Suspects, in which it's like Finally Review. Sure. Yeah, the whole thing's a lot. But in, in comedy specifically, it's, yeah, it's that I don't know. classic thing. And I'm like, it's killing me. I, there's got to be one. I want to put it out because I want our listeners to like, what, what is what is like one, and again, not a crime thing, but but the sort of classic romantic comedy structure. Or a character yeah, no, they tells always a like whether it's whether it's shop around the corner, or it's you've got mail, yeah. it's uh can't buy me love or whatever. Yeah. yeah, the comedy of errors is always exposed. It's and always it, exposed, yes. Yeah, or, or else what's act three? Just like, oh wow, this was this has been great. Yeah, so, I don't yeah, I guess with you. <laughs> I don't know. It just yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Thank just, you. Thank you for that. That was a great, that was a great <laughs> dead. Like, you know, that's not an act three, my the friend. The end. The end. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. It's, uh, uh, we got to do that. That reminds me of, gotta... of, of a hilarious thing. Do you know this story about the kids that play the prank on, the, on their parents? Where it's Toy Story 3, you know, and they're all heading toward the fire. You know what I mean? And they're going to burn in the fire. And that these kids grabbed it, like burned it somehow and faded out. Oh, Nice. As they were going toward the fire, and then brought up the credits, and the, and the parents were absolutely crestfallen. <laughs> that, that, that Woody and Buzz burned to death. You know, it's that like, is glorious. Yeah, I, I actually did. They were getting far, but whatever. Uh, uh, there's an insane Italian film from the late '60s, early '70s called "Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man," and it is completely bonkers. And it's basically if Starsky and Hutch were completely amoral scumbags. But it's Lovely. never entirely clear whether or not the filmmakers know how awful these two cops are because they just go around like murdering and raping and pillaging, but they're the cops, so it's okay. And I showed it a while back to a bunch of friends, and I'm, I'm going to ruin the film. Sorry, speed ahead 30 seconds. The end of the film, um, they're on a boat. Uh, there's a bomb on the boat. Somebody sets it off, but it doesn't go off. And the guys get out, they catch the guy, they shoot him, and then they blow up the boat. And I just cut the 30 seconds out of the film where they get out of the boat, shoot the guy, and then blow up the boat. And just had the movie end with them on the boat getting blown up. And everybody by movie night was like, no, that was cool. Like they had, a, you know, like they had a comic. And they're like, that's not the actual ending. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Good for you. But anyway, well, we're not here to talk about my movies. We're here to talk about yours. Um, yeah, no, Steven. So I was, I was kind of psyched to, to get you in here and talk about the kind of stuff that's inspired you over the years. Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it is a, is a list. Like, I, you know, it's so funny is I could talk about a million movies. You know, and, and, uh, you know, when I was asked to like, okay, you know, I was like, think of 10 movies that like really, you know, and I, there were obviously some musical choices, right. Cause I just made a musical and I was thinking about what made me love this form, you know, whether it was, you know, the wizard of Oz, which was my very first favorite movie of all time when I was a little kid. Uh, and then Greece that, you know, followed and there, and the, the amazing movie a few years ago, maybe like 12 years ago, once. You oh know, God, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like th those three, it's like for utterly different reasons. You know, it, it's it's to me, um, there are certain things that you know. I always find that the movies that you make when you're younger, or you see when you're younger, are a little more. They stay with you longer. Yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. Or for sure, you're yeah. still forging your identity. You're even knowing what a movie is, and so hence the Wizard of Oz. Um, you know, that very first, uh, you know, with which I think it's like if you had one of those bracket, like, you know, like a NCAA March Madness. Right. Bracket, I do believe that the last song standing would be somewhere over the rainbow. If you polled like everybody the world over, that's probably the one. If not, it's 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 final four. Yeah, um, sure. So, you know, like for any any person with a dream or any person that like grew up in a place that didn't quite understand them or, or whatever, you know. 
that's the original outsider story. And, and so, yeah, I would say, which is, by the way, everybody, and which, yes. which I, I would to, to go back to, I mean, you're, you're, it's one of the lovely things about Evan Hansen is it, um, it kind of hits that, uh, uh, I, I once jokingly, and I, I have to update it, said if I was going to write a self-help book, it would be called Even Paris Hilton Has Pain. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't, I mean, there, I, I've never met a single person who, when push comes to shove, will acknowledge that they feel like an insider. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know what, that's a very, very, very good point. And, and you're right, and, and Wizard of Oz is, is just taps into that in such a way, because she's not, she's not weird. Yeah. She's just in a slightly different circumstance from some people. Yes, 100%. That's it. That's it. How, um, do you remember how old you were? I mean, you probably like we're around the same age, you saw it on TV, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was, it was you know, before, uh, you know, DVR, VCR, before you could rent anything. And it was Easter, right? Every Easter. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, you know, and it was an event. I remember my, my little sister, her, she was Dorothy for her fifth birthday. And I was the cowardly lion. We were acting it all out and she got to hit me. You know what I mean? It was a big moment in her life. Big moment. <laughs> Ended in tears, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, you know, again, like I said, there was something. And I also, I love just going from the, the, the kind of gray and white to the color, you know, the brown and white to the color, you know, depending yeah. on which, uh, which television set we were watching. It on. Um, you know, these are things that like, you know, I, I'm always really fascinated by art that, appeals to every age. And now that I have two children and I've watched the film with them and right. through their eyes, it's amazing how it holds up. It will be yeah. ever. I don't you know whatever you want to say about like some of the movies that like I, I loved as, a, as an adult or a film student or whatever, um, you know, 47,000 years from now, you know, maybe we're still watching mean streets. I hope we are. Cause I think it's brilliant, but I know we're watching the wizard of Oz. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, we're uh, projecting against a wall in a cave, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm such a giant fan and and um, love the books, uh, and and the source of probably it's a terrible thing to say, but I think the statute of limitations is off. Probably the worst note I've ever gotten in my life. Um, many many years ago, I got uh, I sort of fell into it, and it was a lot of fun. And I know it was probably cursed and hubristic and everything else, but I wrote a sequel to Wizard of Oz for, wow. um, for Warner Brothers, who owns the original. And, sure. and so we get to use all the stuff from the movie that everybody knows that's not actually in the book, you know, because it's uh, the Yellow Brick Road isn't the Yellow Brick Road and the Ruby Slippers and all that. Wow. And, and um, yeah, it was, a lot, it was a lot of fun. And I used a couple of the books as sources. Um, and, uh, uh, but I remember getting it out at one point it was one of those ones from somebody who's only been at one meeting and then you never see them again. And uh, this person said, um, you're going to need to establish that water kills witches. Wow. In a Wizard of Oz movie. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, what do you do with that? I, like, I don't know what to do with that. And then it also hit me too. They don't even establish it in the first film. They just do it. <laughs> like, and it works. I can't, even, I can't even fathom your version of the Wizard of Oz. I, it's like... Like some like Russian gangsters show up and like, like <laughs> I don't even understand. Like I, that's, that's I contain crazy. multitudes, my friend. I contain multitudes. Although you did have a great James Bondy kind of opening. Yeah, totally. It's, it's like the guy pulls out the AK and like sprays them all down. But it like you know, like the scarecrow is like you know, I'm made out of straw, bitch. And then he, like, <laughs> you know, like what? I, I can't even imagine, Josh. How it's it's it's, it's 
remarkable. I have. To. You're so far off the mark. It was. It was. Uh, it was. It was sweet. It was lighthearted, but but very much an adventure film. But but yeah, uh, that was yeah. literally because I thought, and it is, and I never even thought about it. But it's one of the great things about that film. They don't establish the water kills witches. She doesn't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. You just you yeah. accept it. It's like great. You this just is, go. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, and imagine yeah. trying to pull that off in a movie today where it's just like she's going to do some random thing and it's going to triumph over the villain. And there's 8,000 reasons. You and I know all of them why that's a terrible idea. Yes, yet, of course. And yet. No, just- there, there's, always, there's always that note. You know, I, I've been, I've been, I will say as a director, more than a writer, in my, in, in my purely writing days, uh, there, there were far more bad notes. I will say once I got into the directing, the notes become more practical. You know what I mean? Right. It's just the footage. Like, like it's, it's been a much easier ride, I have to say, in a lot of ways. But, you know, even though you don't agree with everything, it's like, it's, I, there's an, I, I've been very blessed. And I've had good producers. Like, I, I've had a decent time of it. But, uh, uh, but yeah, but I, trust me, I remember, I remember the bad notes. I, I, well, also, I mean, there, there's a limitation as a director to a certain extent if you're shooting already. No one can come in halfway through the shoot. No one can sit there at the dailies and go, set it in space. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's not that's actually that's an it. option. So that's my, 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 my favorite was what was the Toby Hooper? Uh, you know, uh, do they have to be from Mars? Wasn't that like it was something, <laughs> something called <laughs> like I, it's called Invaders from Mars? Do they have to be from Mars. I love that. Or yeah. I heard another story, which was one of my favorites of executive. Somebody wanted to shoot in black and white. Like, well, I don't think they make black and white projectors anymore. You're like, I, I just, oh, I don't cool. know. You know what I mean? It's like this thing. It's like, no, it's light through it. Hey, it's all okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we could, there's gotta be, somebody's gotta be doing a podcast about just bad notes. That, you know what? You should make a special bad notes. That would be kind of fun. I, I toyed with the idea of just bringing in a bunch of writers and just, just, we just kvetch and for like three or four hours. And cut that would up be, I, I, I would, I would, I would not do that podcast because I'm too nice, <laughs> but I would love to do it. I promise you that. <laughs> I will. I will consider it. Um, and then, yeah, can we talk about once? Because um, yes, and, and you know what? You know what? I would actually say I want to skip Greece and I want to go to Cabaret. Oh, but okay. All talk right. about once. Basically, it's like this: uh, the the three the three kind of touchstone musicals. I could talk about Greece, but it's like too close to the Wizard of Oz. Um, once, I, I remember we all had these moments in our careers or our lives when you're really low, right? It's not, look, I, I just, I just done this TV show called Jericho and that's right. That's right. Yeah. Terrific show. Yeah. We had been canceled and it was like, it was a low point. I was like, ah, and I just, I didn't know anything about it. I went in to see the movie once I had heard from my friend Rona who, who, you know, she's like a Colombian, she's like an experimental filmmaker and she does all these cool features. She's like, I think you're going to really like this one. And I went not knowing anything about it. And I, I, it was one of my favorite movies of the decade. So good. It, it was so honest and just, it just didn't, you know, it's like when you were there and you're watching them sing in like the music store or you're, you're there, you know, uh, you know, on the street and he's a street musician, the authenticity of it, because usually, or in the recording studio, usually in uh, movie musicals, like, as you know, it's like, it, it's just this, like, you know, the guy is done talking suddenly everything becomes more colorful and we break into a big song and it's, it's very false. It's not, there's nothing really organic about it. Yeah. Once was different. And yes, it did have the advantage of being performative. Like they are performers. So there is a reason like cabaret and we'll get yeah. to cabaret in a second. But so there was a reason for it, but the way that they executed, the way that they did it, 
it, it was like you were sitting at the piano bench with them. And I remember when I saw Dear Evan Hansen on stage, um, and, and I thought about what would the what could a movie of this be? Um, I immediately went to once. Mm-hmm. Like, what would it feel like if you were in that dining room? You know, what would it feel like if you were in that school? And it wasn't this big song and dance. It wasn't like High School Musical or Disney Channel's Zombies. And, and both are cool. I'm, I'm not. I'm not hating on anything. Well, it's a, yeah, no, it's an interesting point because yeah, can't be, as, as you say, it's like there's never a moment in Evan Hansen where the entire cast just breaks out dancing or anything. It's yeah, there's a, only one. Sincerely, me. Uh, which which is a huge satirical number. It's like yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Right. It's the yeah. funniest moment, and, the, and it's the yes. darkest thing. It's like it was like the only moment in the in the show that goes full blown Heather's. Yep. Is sincerely me, you know, um, and uh, so yeah. Uh, so once had that thing, you know, and the song that they won the Oscar for, "Falling Slowly." You know, my I met my wife very soon after I saw that movie. That kind of became our song. Um, we danced to it at a wedding and there was just something about it. And it's like, what I loved also about the movie was the lack of pretense. Yeah. You know, so, and there's a certain kind of self-importance that people put on, on things. And I feel that, that the best movies, maybe there's a few movies that, that deserve self-importance, you know, but for everything that I love for the most part, they, they don't do that. You know what that I mean? film, especially, it's so funny. I mean, even it, it, I, I love it. I mean, the movie turned me into, I didn't know him beforehand. I'm like the biggest Glenn Hansard fan alive now. I've seen him live a bunch of times. I mean, he's an amazing songwriter. Yeah, me too. He's a star. And, um, but even like, and I, there's so few films you can say this, but it's barely a movie. And that's not a knock, but it's barely a movie. It's just these, these two folks kind of hanging around and they record some songs. And there's a, yeah. so much emotion coming through. Oh, and, it's incredible. And I remember, you know, just because like, I'm also the student of the montage. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had montages when he's watching lies. We're listening to the song lies and he's just looking at old photographs of his old girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It is so real. And I don't know if they shot that, if it was false, if it was an actual old girlfriend that they used. I don't know what, how they pulled that off. But when you cut away and then now he's just walking through, it, it's just remarkable yeah. because you get, you know, we, you and I both know how many movies have you watched about romance or about a relationship where they, they're given two hours by the end. You don't remember a fucking thing about them. Yeah. Don't remember anything. Here's this thing. It was like two minutes of a song looking at a bunch of clips. And I feel like I knew everything about this couple. I know why they broke up. It's just it, the, the, the sense of the density of detail again, but being matter of fact about it. That's what was so remarkable. It wasn't like, look at us. We're so brilliant. It was just very quietly, elegantly. Yeah together by John Carney, a huge fan of his, like, and when I saw, and the reason why once is so important to me, uh, which I haven't said is, you know, I was doing television work. I saw once and I just said, you know what? I'm doing the wrong thing. I need to be doing that. Mm -hmm. I need to be doing my stuff again. Like, you know, look, nothing against Jericho, nothing against, they was fun to do it, blah, blah, blah. But and and basically a few weeks later, I started writing the Perks of Being a Wallflower screenplay. And, wow. and oh, really? Wow. Movie that that launched it all. I actually wrote, I, I got his email. I wrote an email to John Carney thanking him profoundly for changing my life with that movie because, because I said, you know, they made this thing for 150 grand in Ireland with two like like basically unknown people in terms of America. And it changed, it changed my life. So like I'm I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna do it. And, and, and let's see what happens. Let the chips fall. And as it turned out, it, it kind of gave me my directing career. That's and wonderful. I'll forever grateful for once. Yeah. 
I'm also a giant. Um, I think it's follow up. What? Oh, right. There was, was there one in between? Uh, but Sing Street is. I think Sing Street was third. I think third. Begin- that's right. Yeah, there was the other one. Yes. Um, yeah, yes, I'm not. Sing I forget Street. the order, but yes. Yeah, Sing Street just demolished me too. It's so it's so great. Um, so great. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 wonderful. And yeah, and I don't even think of that as. Uh, I mean, obviously, once as a music, it's like pretty much all they do is sing in that movie. It just doesn't feel like a musical do. somehow. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, but but again, because it's grounded, you don't even right. like. Here you are saying I don't like movie musicals or I don't like musicals, and once you love it's, yeah. it. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes. Because, you know, you go back to like when you're in high school or like when you're young, even now, it's like I'm a huge music fan. It's not like you go when you were listening to whatever you were listening to when you were 16 or whatever video you were watching. That's a movie. Like that's a that's a filmed musical. That's what it is. Yeah. A lot of that stuff forges your identity. So, yeah, 100 percent. Like I I, uh, I I love the movie once. It's also really cool. You know, as, as we know, the movies we love when we're young um, stay with us a little longer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that. and they have the, the 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 bar is lower because we don't know, you know, when we're younger and they impress. But like to have a movie like once I, that I saw, I was thirty seven. I want to say, um, it just blew me away. And to have a movie affect me that deeply at thirty seven, yep, uh, was remarkable. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it is it is amazing. I can't imagine if anybody's listening and hasn't seen it. You just you know finish this episode and then um, you know. Check it out. Yeah, John Carney's once, exactly. Yeah, it's so good. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now you're so you you mentioned cabaret too, which is this is this is one. Um, help me, man, help me. I don't know what it is. I've talked about it on the show before. Like the only Fosse I actually like is 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 Star Eighty. I don't like cabaret. I don't know what it is. It's like it doesn't his musical stuff. Nothing works on me for some reason. I know it's me. So I'm like, well, so cabaret you don't like? No, a cabaret and and the one everybody loves with Roy Scheider, which I, I can't even and. Uh, uh, I, I just there's something about that stuff. The only one I like is the horrible bleak one where the guy murders his uh, ex girlfriend. I don't wow. know what. Which well, is fi- yeah, not- finally, <laughs> finally the Josh Olsen I know and love. <laughs> Thank there God. Go. Like, who there the fuck go. are you, man? I was like, but, you know, we're talking about once and like, you know, Glenn, like all this stuff. What a poet! And now, fi- uh, yeah, finally, but, yes. But, the, the, but, but try. I'm. I'm. It, it is. I'm. I am. I am. Uh, uh, Shall I make an argument for cabaret? Why it's no, no. You don't have to make an argument. You're right. It's. It's like I'm. You know, the, there are movies where I'm like, oh, that's fucking terrible, and I'll. I'll explain to you. And then there's stuff where I. I take this as a sign of maturity. I hit this point many years ago. It was like, and there's just things that just don't work for me. And clearly, sure. cabaret is is a masterpiece. I rewatched it a couple of years ago, and you know, my wife was sitting there. She's like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm just, I, what, what is. What am I missing? What's 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 tell me why you love it. That's why you're here anyway. Just make me a believer, man. I well, I think I think why I love it is is the fact that even even now, it is some of the most innovative dance cinematography you could ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the angles, looking at how it was edited, it was it kind of maybe maybe it's lost on you and agree because 
it, you, know, so you know how so often like the first thing, if you weren't there when the first thing happened, yep. all you're seeing is the imitation for two decades. And then you see the thing and yes. it doesn't special. Yes. If you look at how MTV, especially like, you know, you and I were like kids and like in the eighties, early nineties or whatever, all the cutting, he kind of invented a oh lot. My God. Yeah. Can you imagine MTV without Fosse? It's impossible. And also, and so the, the idea as well, again, you're not a musical guy. So, so if you're not, if you don't start there, if you don't start with like sound of music and, 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 you know, and like fiddler on the roof and stuff like that, if you don't see the context or like some of the other things to have a movie or, or a movie musical, or even just a musical that to go from the era of, of um, sound of music and, and other things that were more kind of wholesome family entertainment, sure. yeah. to take that directly into uh, Berlin in the 1930s. Yeah. Yeah. And to deal directly with the, the, the you know, the, the, the Nazi, you know, the rise of Nazism and to deal with the MC, uh, Joel Gray and, and what he represented, you know, um, and, and you could read into him anything you want. You could read into, uh, you know, uh, you know, him as a, as a metaphor for almost anything. But like, if you look at it as a musical form, it kind of invented the modern movie. It invented the modern musical. And after after Cabaret, nothing was ever the same. I think the closest thing I could ever give you a context for, maybe you could love it, is it happened tw literally 20 years later. We all know the, the heavy metal 80s. And then Nirvana's Nevermind drops, right. right? And the minute we heard Smells Like Teen Spirit and that album, metal was over. It was, it was almost- in, I like, said, like, Can you imagine like the worst person to be that day would have been Axl Rose. Yeah, I, 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 you know, or, you are now like, my grandfather's favorite band. All overnight, yeah, overnight, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, 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 or you know, the guys from Poison or whatever. Right. It's like the, the whole you know teased hair, makeup gone yeah. in an yeah. instant. And 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 in a lot of ways, um, not a hundred percent, but like that's what Cabaret was to the musical and to the movie. Mm, music. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So that's it. Like, and again historically if it still doesn't get you it doesn't get you there's there's no there's no convincing it's that's not the point it's like you're either on the journey with with it or not but the fact that it dealt with bisexuality 30 years before anybody was yeah. really dealing with it that it dealt with anti-semitism um you know uh with that incredible song you know if you could you know if you could see it through my eyes um and, and just just unabashedly with great uh authenticity and the detail and attention to detail it, it's just brilliant not only that but even even though like a lot of songs were removed in cabaret um from the stage show to the oh, movie, from the stage. yeah okay yeah and they they turned them into those 78 records that sally bowles plays that's very meta like yeah I that. and the screenwriter jay preston allen did stuff that like nobody had ever even thought to do so yeah it, it's it's kind of like the first punk rock like it, it it's Again, you're not a musical guy, so you don't. It, it's like I can't. It's never mind. It's Nirvana's never mind. It's that's that's a great analogy. I love it. Yeah, no, but I also find that like I've, I've I have over time. There've been a couple movies where I have sort of I've come around, and whether or not it's aging or you know uh, just just taking in the way other people love it, I've actually found that really helpful. Um, in fact, doing the show, there's like a straight line between the episodes where um, it's Josh going, I just blow up, man. It doesn't do anything for me, and and then. Josh going, holy shit, blow up. It's amazing. It's a masterpiece. It's, um, yeah. 
I love it. Well, it's a great one. A, yeah, no, it's fantastic. Uh, we just had enough people come on and, and sort of do that. And really, well, yeah, that's all yeah, it's about. I, Fuck the listeners. Yeah. This is about turning me into someone who will finally enjoy cabaret. That's the only reason. Yes. I will out myself. So the first time I saw The Graduate, right, which is another one of my movies, right, that, yes. that was a huge influence. First time I saw it, full disclosure, I think I was, I don't know, was a senior in high school, freshman college, I don't remember. And you know that amazing montage that, that does the match cutting like this? I was like, what the hell is happening? I, it, it was annoying to me. I was like, I don't understand this at all. And, and, and then I'm a senior in college and I watch it again. I'm like, this is one of the greatest things I've yes. ever It is amazing. I've, I have used techniques in that movie in my own work several times. Like in person being a wildflower, when, when it's like he's kissing Mary Elizabeth and then suddenly it's Emma Watson and then it's, then it's Mae Whitman mm. and he's lost in time. That's Benjamin Braddock is, is in his room cut to him in close. Oh my God, it's the hotel. You don't even know it. It's that right. matter of fact, where's the day going? That stuff is remarkable. So, so yeah, look, there are movies that we don't get. And then once we see them, it's like, I didn't know Springs. I didn't get Springsteen until I was like 28, 29, whatever the hell it was, 29. Blasphemy. And Blasphemy. I, and then I played, it was like, I forget some, one of the deeper tracks of Born was She's the One, maybe it was Jungle Land, I don't remember. It's like, to me, he was the Born in the USA guy, which I loved. I, I love oh, that song. Yeah, sure. And then you go like back to Jungle and Land, out. I went, yeah. holy shit. Yes. This guy's re like remarkable. You know, you never know when it's going to happen. So yeah. I, I have faith, Josh, that you are going to grow a soul. <laughs> are indeed going to like watch cabaret and finally I will, get. I will. I will. No, I remember there, there was just like a switch one day too. It's like for me, it's Dylan. Um, and probably because I grew up around yeah. a lot of people who played him all the time. And he was just a, me, me. I was like, oh, God damn it. And then literally just one day, someone put a Dylan song that I heard 3,000 times and I heard it. I was like, oh, what just happened? What just happened yeah. to my brain? Um, that's as a brilliant example i agree yes uh yeah that's funny too because the graduate i had the same thing i think i saw it on tv which is you know as a kid you saw a ton of movies you know and they're only like three uhf and four vhf channels or vice versa um and you know i would see like some old bogart film when i was nine years old i'd just be like completely into it even though they're all easily in their 50s you know or it felt that way but something about the graduate the first time i saw it it just felt too grown up for me Sure. And, and then, yeah. And then seeing it again, I think probably the first time I saw it and certainly in a theater was yeah, college and you're just like, what the fuck is this movie? It's incredible. And it is, it's a revelation every time because it's so deceptively simple. Yes. And it, then, but, but the, the choices that he makes, like just as a director, just visually, like again, one of those often imitated, like once he did zoom his way, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, just like, look, we all do the Dolly Zoom. I, I did I did, you know, I did a, a little piece of vertigo in Dear Evan Hansen. It actually worked really well emotionally for this one moment. We all know who invented, but like the way that he did it, um, you know, everybody copied it after that for, for years. It was one of the foundations of 70s, uh, you know, cinema yeah. style. And and I always love that. I always love the, those movies that that they they blaze a little bit of a trail, right? Yeah. And whether whether he saw something on a commercial and said, oh, I want to do a movie like that. Who knows? Who knows where he got it from? Maybe he just made it up out of whole cloth. Maybe it was his DP and Mike Nichols was fighting it. I have no idea the genesis of some of these looks. Yeah. But there was a thing, and also a Dear Evan Hansen thing, where one thing I loved about, what we all loved about The Graduate is like when it's revealed and it's like you see, you see Elaine and, and Dustin Hoppin is saying like, you know that woman? You know that older woman? Hi, that one? 
And then suddenly that long, like, like you, you rack focus to Anne Bancroft and then that painful out of focus shot of, of, um, of Elaine, just, mm. you know, just as, as the revelation happens. And yeah. the idea of playing with focus, I did it a little bit uh, in Curse Being a Wallflower when he's on LSD um, and he's walking and he comes out at focus and then he, come, or, and he comes back in. This one in, in Dear Evan Hansen, as the revelation of, of the horror that he has done to this family, comes right. to him, use it in more deliberate fashion. But those kind of things were, I imagine at the day, truly revolutionary. But what's funny is, and you probably see this over and over again, when someone invents something, there is a style to it, but the style came from the substance. And what happens very often is there's a convention that then becomes the cliche and the entire emotional reason for it is forgotten. Was it, and, and then it becomes just this, like a, like a camera trick. But it, in The Graduate, none of them are camera tricks. All of them make you feel as lost as you're drifting along with them, or it's the revelation in the right way, or, or you're, you're put out to pasture um, by, by the woman you love. Like, all of it makes you feel for Benjamin. And, I even, and the, the best of them are even more effective than that. They become, uh, they start eliciting Pavlovian responses where you're watching a film and they'll use something like that. And there's no earthly basis for it to work within the context of the film, but because you have been so trained, you have that reaction. Yeah. That it's, uh, um, yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, and also for me, I would say being, uh, you know, going to USC film school, which I did, you know, you know, I know it's supposed to be Berkeley, but it was shot on the USC campus. Yes. And it was showed it. They always showed it at this, uh, you know, like once a year uh, in the spring. They always showed the graduate on the big screen, like full, you know, thirty-five print, and and it was there where I really just like, this is a remarkable movie yeah. uh, that deserves to be seen a million times. Anyway, uh, I, I, could I could talk about The Graduate a long time. Uh, happy to do it, but let's, let's grab another one first. Well, you know, I, for me, you know, and also probably not a surprise, you know, the fact that I did, uh, you know, I did The Perks of Being a Wallflower and Wondering Out Here and Hanson, like the coming of age movie was kind of a thing for me. You know, there's The Graduate, of course. Um, but, but there were two, and it was kind of like the one-two punch. It was The Breakfast Club and then Dead Poets Society. And so in, in, in a very specific reason why those two, and they kind of go together. Uh, it was like my favorite movie when I was 15 and then in my favorite movie when I was 19, which is, has never been supplanted like, like Dead Poets Society. But I remember growing up in Pittsburgh. Where are you from? I don't even know. Philadelphia. Okay, there you go. So, um, you know, look, so we're Pennsylvania guys. And, you, you know, if you have a big heart, that's fine. You better hide it, right? You better, like, there's, there's, a, there's certain social rules, shall we say. And, uh, you know, articulating your more vulnerable feelings is kind of against them. <laughs> oh, so yeah. when I saw The Breakfast Club, and I'd seen 16 Candles and John Hughes, and I thought it was hilarious and blah, blah, blah. So I see this thing. I mean, what a strange title. What does it even mean? And Anthony Michael Hall, because I was a brain, and Emilio Estevez, because I was a soccer player. And so I was a bit of an athlete. Those two, those two guys just spoke to me. And what I loved about Breakfast Club um, back then, I mean, there's so many things to love about it. I love the song, of course, everything else. But for such, it is a remarkable, a remarkable movie. When you think about, it's just a library in a hallway and talking. Right. It's basically yeah. a play. Yep. The way that it was filmed, the way, and I think he had a, an amazing DP for it. Like 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 a like a Haskell Wex like like um I forget who I forget who shot it for him it's somebody remarkable 
Um, but, but that movie, it just, it completely spoke to me um, just as a person. And, and I remember this one shot and I'll always remember the, this painfully long uh, dolly where they just, they're just inching the camera along and the mirror rest of us is talking about his father and wrestling and how he wants his knee to blow out. So he could just be left the fuck alone. Right. And, and it was such an elegant shot. And I don't know if, if, you know, John Hughes decided, you know what, this is the moment when I'm going to slow the whole thing down. There's going to be no cutting. It's just, I'm going to slow the whole thing down. And Emilio Estevez's performance was remarkable. I don't know if it was one take or it was hidden. It was a hidden one where, you know, you pass the banister and then right. or the pillar and then you get to cut there. I don't think it was. I think it was one performance. I never forgot that. And, uh, and then, so that movie completely articulated what I was going through in high school in terms of my feelings about it. And then a few years later, when I saw Dead Boat Society, um, that was kind of spoke to what I thought life could be. You know, the idea of Season of the Day or Carpe Diem or the idea of, of, of you know, and I thought what Peter Weir and, and, um, and uh, his team did, all those shots of the countryside and everything else, another very internal, it's basically like a school, it's a classroom, it's a dorm room, it's a hallway and a staircase. And then these interstitial kind of, for no reason, let's have Maurice Jarre write this perfect piece of music and watch a kid playing bagpipes on a, on a, uh, on, on, a on a pond, and yet it somehow works. And somehow, yeah. you know, the first day of school, yeah, the, the, the leaves have already changed. Hmm. Well, that's that's not terribly accurate, and yet it didn't matter. And so, and uh, for me, I, look, I don't know about you, I, I I cannot wait to hear your opinion about these two movies. I, I have to say, because um, you and I are very different cats. However. <laughs> When, when those boys, not all of them, when some of those boys stood up on the desks at the end, mm-hmm. I, you know, it just, I was a mess. And even when I was 19, crying in movies was, wasn't something I did very often back then. But for that, I, I lost it. And I, I, to this day, I, I think about it, it just kills me. So it's, go ahead, trash my taste. <laughs> no, I, 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 I can't wait. Here Peter, we go. Peter Weir is, I, I have not seen... Um, uh, either of them since it came out. And I remember loving Dead Poet Society, but I just like Peter Weir is, is it is freakish how um, under, I don't know if it's underrated, just under commented he is. Because so many people will happily talk about how much they love, you know, Lear Living Le- Le- Dangerously or, or, or you know, uh, Fearless, Truman Show or Master and Commander. I mean, he's, he's this amazing, or, or, or that one. Um, and even before that, you know, you go back to like- Your Witness. And witness for God's sake. Yeah. I mean, these are just really, really terrific films and there's a sort of guiding sensibility through them all that, that, that um, is just, he's an incredible filmmaker and I've, yeah. it's always been frustrating to me that he's not revered more. Um, and I think to me, the great tragedy is like how the hell, um, you know, he hasn't finally stopped making master and commander movies after the last nine, uh, <laughs> you know, that was just, I, I, you know, I, I will say this, there, there is, there's a price that you pay, and, and, and I, I look at, to me, in very much the same way Sidney Lumet is very similar to me Yeah. in terms of Peter Weir, where it's like when you allow yourself to let the material guide the style yeah. and not, not the style guide the material, you are often overlooked. Yeah. Because, you know, Sidney Lumet is one of the great directors ever. And, you know, anybody with that range, so, I mean, 12 Angry Men or... Uh, Network or Dog Day or Mur- you know, Merlin the Orient Express, you look at the body of work, it's like it, you can't argue with any of it. It's remarkable. Yeah. And yet, um, you know, I think that, 
you know, even though Lament did this amazing work, you know, William Friedkin has two movies that, that we all revere, Exorcist and, and French Connection. And in a lot of ways, Friedkin gets more. Oh, what's Sorcerer. Sorcerer. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> My bad. But think about it. It's like Lumet did more movies that we revere. Yep. You know what I mean? And yet people talk about Friedkin more. I don't know why. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it well, some of, it is, some of it is just how you present yourself to the world, too. I mean, obviously, sure. you know, Hitchcock, people, people knew Hitchcock. The majority of people in the world knew Alfred Hitchcock, not because he was one of the greatest directors who ever lived, but because he, he branded himself, you know? For sure. Yeah, and that's, and it's uh, that. Yeah. yeah, the branding is that. It's that. It's like it's it's a blank movie versus, yeah. you know, it's just this great movie that we all saw and loved. And yeah, so yeah, Peter Weir definitely, and you know, in in many ways, it's so ironic because John Hughes was a brand. Like he, yeah. he, I mean, between the teen stuff and the and the younger stuff, it's like household name at least in America. I don't know about overseas. Yeah, just Breakfast Club. They didn't really. I mean didn't make a whole lot of money overseas maybe on video it's a classic i don't know over there but um but yeah it's one of those things where where i, I don't know it, it it never makes sense to me why some people are famous in our household names and other people are not maybe it's it's good pr no idea i think some of it yeah i mean i cannot imagine alfred hitchcock letting anybody take the credit by patty chayefsky on a film that he directed and that's literally first first thing you see is network Second thing you see is a card that says "Buy Patty Chayefsky." Yeah, no, that's and, a good point. Yeah, Hitchcock, well, you know, Hitchcock yeah. would have had him killed before he allowed that to happen. Oh, of course, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was, it, yeah, he he was the name above the title for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's another one in another movie of, of mine, another coming of age, uh, it's similar thing. It's Rob Reiner. Mm. You know, Stand by Me. Oh. I love that movie. Brilliant movie. And when you think about like one of my heroes as a filmmaker is Rob Reiner. And I don't know if he's talked about as one of the great directors or not. I don't know. I, I don't, you know, I'm not in film school anymore. I don't really talk like, you know, this is actually really fun. I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, I can almost see the Bob Marley poster above the bunk bed in terms of conversation. <laughs> but, um, uh, but anyway, so when I think about Rob Reiner, I go, this is Spinal Tap, leads to The Sure Thing, leads to Stand By Me, leads to uh, Princess Bride, uh, When Harry Met Sally, um, I'm probably forgetting something amazing. Misery. Huh? Misery. Oh, yeah, Misery, which was terrific. And, and then A Few Good Men. I mean, that's, I mean, that's seven for seven. It's like, who does that? And, um, and, and so different, all of them, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know and, and, and all of them, you know, so many of them, this is Spinal Tap, is, um, not only did it invent the mockumentary, but it is a classic of the genre still. Um, you know, Stand By Me is one of the great coming of age. Uh, Harry Sally is one of the great rom-coms. Princess Bride is one of the great fantasies. Three is a tremendous horror movie. And Few Good Men is one of the great kind of like drama adaptations. Yeah. Uh, and launched Aaron Sorkin, at least to the, the mainstream audience. And, and I don't know if he gets his due. He should. He's one yeah, but of he's, again, as you say, he's one of those directors who, who gives himself to the material because the, the, the only thing consistent through those films is that there's a um, that's not true. I guess a sure thing. And, and, um, but, but there's, there's a, a strong authorial voice coming from somebody else. I mean, you realize later that, that, uh, you know, spinal tap as great a job as he did. It's like, Oh, that's Christopher Guest. That's his, you know, sure. that's his backyard. That's the and thing then it's Stephen does, King exactly. and then, you know, Princess Bride. I mean, but, and as somebody who loved, uh, the William Goldman's book was so anxious about seeing like, eh, how are they going to do this? And, had a little faith because Reiner was so good at that point. He proved himself so much. 
but he knocked it out of the park and he caught, yeah. he caught that feeling. Yes, and it is not somebody coming in and going, let me make it mine. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I had this big gripe, but like, well, what's his name from yellow? It always drove me nuts. They, they did those, um, remember a while back, they did those Beatles anthology albums and sure. the remaining Beatles got together and they took some old recordings of John Lennon. And they recorded new Beatles songs. Yeah. One, they one had, of them was terrific. Real love was pretty good, but they had, um, Jeff Lynn produce them. And I yeah. thought, what, who in their right mind goes, I'm producing the new Beatles song. I'm going to make it sound like yellow. <laughs> they sound like fucking yellow. And it's like, this is a time when you need to step back, <laughs> you know, and that's it. kind of the Hitchcock approach. Whereas Rob Reiner is like, if Rob Reiner had been a music producer, those songs would have sounded like Beatles songs. That's my point. Sure. But, right. but it's kind yeah. of, the, it's kind of the, kind of the Fosse approach too. I, I well, but no, Fosse's very, um, at least with his, I mean, he's, he's such a distinct voice. Sure. I would say. Sure. Yeah. Whereas, maybe it's that, maybe it's the distinct voice. Listen, it'd be, I, I thought about it myself in my career. It's like, I've now made three movies uh, for the studios, directed three movies. All of them have a first day of school. You know what I mean? All, all of them have a certain thing. And I, and I, I realized that, that Dear Evan Hansen kind of completes the trilogy. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do it again. And, and I, wouldn't, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm not looking to be John Hughes 2.0. You know what I mean? I, there are things I want to try. And, um, you know, as much as I love John Hughes. So, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's really interesting to be talking about like this because, you know, there are movies like, like Stand By Me or, or like Rob Reiner. And there are other people where, you know, and this is another movie of mine that, that I wanted to share. I don't even know. It's so remarkable. So, okay. So picture this. So I'm, you know, I'm a kid growing up in Pittsburgh. You're growing up in Philly. Um, you know, there were a couple of art cinemas around, you know what I mean? And uh, luckily I knew, I knew some girls that like knew where art cinemas were. So that was great. And I remember going to see uh, my life as a dog. Oh, awesome. wow. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I don't know if people talk about that movie anymore. I'm, I'm sure they do in Sweden. I'm sure it's a beyond a classic in Sweden. But uh, that was the first foreign film I ever saw that was just, it was another coming of age thing. I still think it's one of the great coming of age movies ever made. I think it is as good as anything we've talked about. Yeah. Um, oh, for being, sure. Yeah. Being, uh, the Graduate. And it's so, it's just so elegant and sad and funny as hell. And it's perfectly directed. The tone is perfect. The actors, the child performances are so authentic. I just, you know, I don't know. Look, I, I don't know if you, you've seen that movie in a long time. But when it I, came out, but I was knocked out. Yeah, I mean, knocked out. everyone I, was. That was like, that movie was a phenomenon. Yeah, it was. But, you know, it's funny. You look at, you look at the, the stats. It made 10 million bucks. You know what I'm saying? It's like everybody like us, there are movies for people and there are movies for the biz, right? There are movies for film artists that, that we revere. It's like if you look at the box office returns from like, let's say a David Lynch movie. You know oh, yeah. I mean? Well, yeah. Absolutely. You know, or, or some of like the more obscure Gus Van Sant. It's like, even if it makes like $10, yep. like every one of those dollars is somebody like us. It's like, it's like what they said about the original you know, the Velvet Underground. The Velvet Underground, uh, right, right. Yeah, there you go. Well, at least, like, but, the, but film lovers too, not just people who got into it. Because I remember that that was, um, what year, that was that was mid eighties, early eighties. Because they were still. I think it was like eighty six, eighty seven. I remember. I think I was a junior, a senior. I, I can't remember, but I remember seeing it. I didn't know anything about it. I don't know why the hell I went, and yet when I saw it, it was especially that moment where where little Ingmar is like laying there and says, "Mama, why didn't you want me?" Mm -hmm. I. I'll, 
it haunt me to this day. I, I can think about it and just get really broken up. And every movie I've ever made, from Perks to Wonder and now to Dear Evan Hansen, I look at every single, I watch that movie every time. Because mm. there's a tone and a purity that he was able to achieve that I don't know if you could ever achieve again. Because maybe it was the film stock. Maybe it was the way, the, the kind of matter-of-fact way. Maybe it was the fact that it was in a foreign language. Maybe in Swedish, it would feel drastically different if you didn't have to read it. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was it was that good, you know? Yeah. And I hope, you know, I talk about it whenever I get a chance because it's one of the films that, that you know, I don't think it's lost. Obviously, it was nominated for two Oscars. He was nominated for Best Director and he was nominated for Screenplay, deservedly so. Um, and Cinephiles, we certainly love it. But like a lot of younger people, like let's say I go to a college or I'm doing a film school visit or whatever, I bring it up and I say, you have to see this movie. Because just like, you know, it's one of those things, it, it's influence on me. Like another one, like another movie, and it's not really on, because I, I know you guys talk about the, uh, the, the 10 flicks. It's not one of my 10 flicks. That said, Hal Hartley's The Unbelievable Truth. Oh, um, those early, I mean, I love Hal Hartley, those early ones. I'll actually scrap. You know what? I'm going to scrap one of my 10 movies to talk about the unbelievable truth. <laughs> yes. And slash trust. Because to me, I saw them back to back kind of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every writer knows. So you're a kid, you're a kid writer, and you have these dreams and you want to do this good work. And, and usually there's something that, that's your struggle. It might be structure. It might be, who knows what it is. For me, it was dialogue. I couldn't figure out how to write dialogue. And then I saw the unbelievable truth. And when I realized that his dialogue was music, that it was rhythm, mm. I, I made the equation of like, oh, dialogue is lyrics. Dialogue is rhythm. Okay, click. You know, it's so funny. I just realized now talking to you that now I'm full circle to Dear Evan Hansen. It's like the idea that, that lyrics are dialogue mm -hmm. with Hal Hartley. And I remember... Um, don't ask me, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, like as a fan, it's like a year ago, maybe a little bit. I don't, I don't know. Don't ask me why I was like, I was, I was in, I think I was in Atlanta. I think it was maybe right after Atlanta when I, after I got done with uh, uh, Jeremy Hansen filming it. And I saw some, I don't know what it was. And I went, I'm going to write to Hal Hartley and tell him how much he meant to me. Uh. I decided. And so I called his office. I found his number, called his office. You know, and, and, and whoever was working in the office, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure Hal gets his calls. You know, they were very cagey at first. And I said, listen, um, you know, I don't know if you know my work, whatever. I, you know, Steven Shabosky, I did, the, you know, uh, the person being a wallflower. And then I could, I could feel them go, oh, you're not a crazy person trying to, trying to stalk Hal Hartley. The answer is yes. It's no, I, yeah, I'm about to say yes. <laughs> that's exactly what I am. But I also happen to make a movie. You know. Yeah. So anyway, so. I remember just writing him this like gushing email about, like, like I said, told you, I was a film student. I, I was just about to graduate. I was a senior at USC and I was writing all these things, but I couldn't. And then I saw the humble truth and I, something about how you wrote dialogue made me realize how to write dialogue. And I want to thank mm. you ever mm. because yeah, I get that since get then, that. You know, what was really fun was a little bit later, I, I became on his email list or whatever is that, you know, they had a GoFundMe for his most recent movie and yep. ended up. I'm, are we both, I'm on it too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And, and, you know, it was amazing to contribute money to a Hal Harley movie. Yeah. I mean, to be like, to thank you. I, I wish I were a really rich guy. I'm not. I wish I really were. 
because I would love to be able to like write one check and say, go make whatever movie you want. You know what I mean? You don't have to go fund me anything because you're a genius. And because anybody, whether it's basically if you were in film school or you were making an independent film in the nineties mm-hmm. or, or the two thousands, early two thousands, he is a hero. Like, he's yeah. huge, you know, for all of us. I mean, that's Kevin Smith. That's you. That's me. That's you name it. Like we all talk about him. He's like, he's like the godfather of, so I don't know. Yeah, no, he really was. And I, I, I love him. And I remember sort of discovering him reasonably early on. Like, and, and yeah, and those, those films knocked me out. And then have you ever, um, I think the first one of his I contributed to is they did recently, they did um, Blu-ray restorations of a couple of his shorter, like this yeah. hour long surviving desire. Oh, incredible. It's uh, an unbelievable yeah. love story that just, I don't oh, know why so it works. It shouldn't work. And Martin Donovan Martin Donovan is so brilliant. Most in those repellent, movies. attractive leading man ever. I don't know how he does it. He's like, he's I, a complete asshole I, in every I, movie, and you love him. <laughs> love him. I was obsessed with Martin Donovan. I went yeah. to Martin Donovan so badly. I remember I went to the Sundance Labs with this thing I wrote called Fingernails and Smooth Skin. Way back, it, it didn't happen, but like way back in the day. And I like, I was like, I think, beg, please, please come and play this character. I beg you, beg you. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, uh. But yeah, I, I just, there's something about that, you know, it's so funny too, that, that looking at all of the, the people, um, looking at all the people that he's worked with, I mean, Edie Falco, my God, Adrian Shelley, yeah. Discoveries. Yeah. He had a great eye for talent, still does, you know, and yeah, so, so there it is, Hal Hartley. Uh, and also, yeah, and the other one, I was talking to somebody the other day about unexpected and short dance sequences in movies, and I think Surviving Desire has like one of my favorite dance sequences ever, and it's about 15 seconds long. Yeah, oh, you I know did. what I was thinking? I thought you were going to say it was the one from Simple Men. That oh, that's it. a good one. Yeah, but that was sort of a, that sort of builds on there. It's like uh, Martin no. Donovan has just kissed the girl of his dreams and he walks down an alley and he's feeling good. Oh, yeah, the music course. swells and then these two hobos because it's a Hal Hartley movie. And he yeah. just starts doing these moves. The two hobos get up and they're doing like temptation dance moves with him. And then just moves yeah. on. <laughs> I, I love that. And that's the thing about Hal Hartley is like, is like you see that and he made the dance cool. Yeah. He makes the musical yeah. number cool. Yeah. I studied Simple Men for, for Dear Evan Hansen. I looked yeah. at Oh, sure. I was like, okay, I see what their movements are. But, you know, and, and, and Hal Hartley, he brings me to the final movie that I must. Ah, okay. And it's, and it's basically the independent film. So we all have that. We all have the hero. There's the hero that we look at and they feel the untouchable people. And then there's the movie that, that um, makes you realize that maybe you could actually do this. Right. Hal Hartley was like, oh, that's how you write dialogue. I got it. And I took it from there and kind of made it my own. But growing up in Pittsburgh, I don't know about Philly, maybe for you it was Stallone. I don't know. Growing up in Pittsburgh, there was, and this is going to be the weirdest 10th movie to bring to you. Um, But I, I, you know, and I know you're going to love this one. This is easy. This is, I'm right in, I'm right in like, (laughs) and it's like when you grew up in Pittsburgh and you wanted to make movies in the 80s, there was one hero, only one man, George Romero. That is and right. The movie is Night of the Living Dead. Like, I know it sounds strange to, to like, you know, I know the movies I make. I know what I'm known for. But I also love horror. Love it. Really? And okay. Cool. I, I'm a huge horror buff. Um, and to me, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, I remember I was a senior in high school. And in downtown Pittsburgh at the Fulton Theater, they had this thing. They, they, it was the George Romero Film Festival. Okay. And the final night, it was Halloween night, 1987. Um, he was going to be there for like a little Q&A. Oh, wow. And, he, and, and so they're going to play the trilogy in one night. 
Okay. So I go, I watch night on the big screen in 35, glorious 35, um, uh, uh, with uh, the projector that, that shone light through the black and white footage. Anyway, I, I watched that movie and then he got on stage and he was given the key to the city by the mayor. And Tom Savini was there, whom I later put in Persimmon Wallflowers, the shop feature. And I remember showing the clue. Left, and I, I, I tracked him down in the, uh, the lobby of the Fulton Theater. I was like, Mr. Romero, someday I'm going to be a big screenwriter and you're going to want my autograph. I will never forget. And he was lucky. To, he, he did everything but like pat me on the head, like, okay, kid, whatever you say. Um, but he, he signed his poster. Uh, Steve, stay, stay scared. I, I hope you get your first script produced, George Romero. I treasure it. I still have it. I, I, that poster means the world to me. But I remember reading, you know, back before, really, bo even Borders books, let alone Barnes & Noble, let alone Amazon. If you wanted to learn about movies, it wasn't really, you know, there wasn't the entertainment section. There wasn't DVD yeah. commentaries, all those things. But there was this book by John Russo, who co-wrote. Oh, right. Yeah, The Making of. The Making of. I remember this, yeah. It was one of those things, just like John Landis, you know, The Making of the Thriller video, which played on MTV, like in oddly two zombie things where it was, oh, that's how you do it. And I studied that book. It was, that book was like my Bible in terms of how to put things together. And, and again, it, it all comes back. What I love about, what I love about things now, like the like podcasts like this, like I, 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 especially when I'm finishing movies for whatever reason, I read a lot of biographies, you know, mm -hmm. because I always love, I always love the idea of empowering maybe the listener or, or the next generation or the student that says you can do it too. That it's like, whenever we see a movie, whether it's Star Wars or it's The Matrix or it's this or it's that, whatever it is, that seems so visionary. And then to like, like read the George Romero biography, or I'm sorry, the, the George Lucas biography where he's like, you know, oh my God, and every shot, nothing worked and blah, blah. You hear about what a hell it was to put it together or like Night of the Living Dead, which was such an amazing movie. And just to, to read about their struggles to, to scrape together $600 yeah. for an yeah. blow up. And, and isn't it funny though, when it's all said and done and you see the movie, it's forever, it's glorious. Yep. And I don't know, it's like, these are the movies, like all of them. And I, and I, I got a thousand others that just made me realize that, uh, you know, I could do this. And like you, a kid from Philly, a kid from Pittsburgh, I didn't know anybody. Right. You know, I grew up yeah. in a South, South Hill suburb. And so, you know, I'm, a, you know, somewhat a sentimental cat and uh, you know, I don't know. Is that was like one that 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 really changed me forever? You know, that one's amazing. I, I I recently I recently I mean, who knows? Time time got weird in the last year and a half. Have you noticed? Oh, um, sure it is. <laughs> well, you at least left your house to make a movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess it was a couple of years ago. There was a screening, a double feature of um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which apparently was supposed to be you know a new, maybe a new print or at least a solid print of it, and then the right. new. Um, you know, Criterion had struck a 4K print of Night of the Living Dead. Wow. Um, I should also say, by the way, uh, uh, forgive me for being so mercenary, Stephen, our sponsor, Movies Unlimited, um, you can get pretty much all the movies Stephen's talking about, but uh, all through September, they're doing a sale and Night of the Living Dead and uh, My Life as a Dog are both on uh, Criterion. Fantastic. They're, they're doing a Criterion sale. If you don't have them, go, go get them there. And if you go to their website, um, moviesunlimited.com. They have a movies that made me section where they have every episode individually broken down. You click on it and it's not just the movies that are on our guest list, but like every movie that we've discussed in that episode, which sometimes goes into like a hundred. Um, if they've got it, it's got a link directly to uh, where you can order it. 
there. The movie collector's website and shipping is always free on orders over 50 bucks. Um, but I, I went cause, uh, I, I wanted to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre with an audience again. It'd been a long time and it was first and it was a blast. I mean, it's just like, you, you can't every, it's one of those movies that just, it, it's something it's, it's better. Is that, a, I didn't feel terrible saying better about such a ghastly film, but it's better every time I see it. The one that surprised me, I thought it would be kind of like, all right, I've seen Night of the Living Dead 4,000 times. Well, why not? I'll, I'll stick around. I'll check it out for a few minutes to see how good it looks in this new print. And obviously it looked fucking amazing. I don't know if you've seen it, but I hadn't seen it. You know, I'd seen it 378 times, maybe 379, and then had not gone in 20 years, had not thrown it yeah. on in 20 years. And sitting in a theater with it again, you're just like, oh shit, yeah, this is a really fucking good movie. Like if you just walked in off the street and watched Night of the Living Dead, you, you know, knowing nothing about it, um, it, it earns its reputation. And uh, it I know does, that's a stupid yeah. thing to say about a classic, but it was just, it was really fun because I was kind of like, yeah, I'll stay for 10 minutes just to see what it looks like and just lock my ass to the chair for the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And you couldn't get up. That's the best, you know, the, yeah. those the best, you know, those experiences. I agree. And and I have not seen that, that, that edition I have not seen. I'm going to, I'm, I'm all over it. That was beautiful. You can't believe how it looks. Um, it's funny though. I've all said like, I, uh, on the other hand, Texas Chainsaw Massacre to me is a movie that should not look beautiful. It should look like you need to see it in a shitty 16 millimeter print that's been dragged around somebody's floor for a while that's starting to fade. Sure. Cause it, 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 the more it looks like, I guess the more it looks like a piece of evidence in a murder trial, the less like an actual movie. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I remember seeing that movie. Yeah. I, I could talk about that too. That, that was a huge movie for me. It's, you wouldn't think, just like I, you know, I'm kind of blown away that you love once. You're probably like, wow. I mean, I, I could say, you know, Texas Chainsaw and The Exorcist and The Shining and Halloween and you know, the the list goes on and on. I loved all of them, all of them. Dawn of the Dead, love it. It's just there's something about like what I love, and it kind of like even goes back to musicals. Or you mentioned comedies. There are certain movies. There are only a few that make you actually make noise in a theater, right? Yes. Yes. Or, you scream like, you know, musicals, you cheer comedies, you laugh and there's laugh. Yeah. about a visceral response from an audience, yeah. you know, whether you're trying to make films, like I, I take great pride in trying to make movies. I like making movies, you know, if you want to call it a film, great. But at the end of the day, it's really about, I don't know. It's about the audience to me. Yeah. And uh, you know, and Texas Chainsaw, I mean, my God, you know, for horror fans, you know, um, it kind of doesn't get any better. Yeah. Yeah, and I think those are two. I think those more than anything, horror and comedy, um, are just so much better with an audience. You know, yeah, one hundred percent. Just uh, yeah, there's there's something about kind of yeah, I can't even imagine kind of um, I don't know. It's like watching duck soup by yourself just seems <laughs> you know sad and hollow. Whereas watching it in wow. a packed theater is yeah. just one of the greatest experiences you ever. Yeah, can. please please tell me you you forgot one detail, Josh. Which is like watching duck soup at home by yourself, eating a jar of frosting. I think <laughs> jar of frosting part. That's that's because, yeah, now I'm depressed. Because what else is left? Like that's <laughs> you go to the cupboard, you go, all I have left is a jar of fucking frosting. And yeah. uh, and I got it. There he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but they are they're just the communal experiences. And um, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, you you've got to come back, Steve. I didn't realize that about you. Um uh come 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 back again. I want you to do your favorite horror films. I, I, I would I gladly that. do my favorite horror movies. hundred um, percent. You know, sure. I wrote, I wrote a horror book, imaginary friend. It came out, uh, it came out, uh, uh, two years ago. Oh shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was my tribute to, uh, 
the great Stephen King, um, who's uh, one of my, you know, my favorite writer, writer of all time. And uh, yeah, I wrote a horror epic, believe it or not, as a novel. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. It was a blast. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I would love that because we love getting people too to come in and talk about stuff that's not. I would love it, you know, and I hope Joe and all, all you know, all love to him. And because uh, I could gush about Gremlins for a long time, which by the way, oh, he hates that. He go hates to that. my nine-year-old daughter. Yeah. She loves horror. She's obsessed. It's it, obsessed. And I was like, all right, I'll play, you know, she loves Stranger Things. I'll play you Gremlins. And she loved it. And it goes to show like how cool my kid is and what a terrible father I am. <laughs> my nine-year-old. Gremlins, you know, and poltergeist and like all the, you know, the great Amblin. Anyway, she, she loved it. Loved it. Fantastic. Well, if you want to hear about, uh, uh, I would argue great parents. Um, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago with Brendan Sexton, the third, the actor, and he talked about movies that his mother showed him on VHS when he was wow. a kid. And this is a kid who's like, you know, nine years old and he's watching his, my favorite double feature from that conversation was um, Dumbo and Eddie Murphy's raw. <laughs> so you're not alone, my friend, and Holy your kid's going to be okay. And, and this is obviously... <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you. This has been a blast. The movie is Dear Evan Hansen, and it's... Um, I, I, I had to check because we live in such weird times. Um, it is in theaters uh, as of this coming Friday on uh, September 24th. It is actually in theaters, yes. Yeah, like no streamer right away. It's only in theaters for, for uh, you know, a, a, a bit there and a uh, few weeks at least, um, if not more. And so, yeah, it's very exciting. Like, you know, and we busted our ass on the Atmos mix. I'll tell you that. Like it was, was very, very exciting to do it that way. Ah, fantastic. Well, yeah, if you, if you can um, see it in a theater, see it in a theater with a bunch of people um, and uh, bring some Kleenex. And uh, Stephen, thank you, man. This, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you, my friend. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.